welcome to another episode of Block Talk, presented by Theatre in the Now. I'm your host as always, Michael Block. If you love the podcast, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher so you never miss an episode, and leave a five-star review while you're there. And as always, follow me on Instagram at MichaelBlockTalk, on Twitter at Theatre in the Now, and visit theaterinthenow.com for latest news, reviews, and interviews. Tale as old as time, queen so sweet and kind, but if you cross her, she knows how to murder you. Murder? Oh, no, she better don't say hello to the wonderful and amazing Angela Mansbury. How oh are you? Oh my god, I'm great. I love that intro. Right? I mean, I had, like, I love puns. Everyone knows I love puns, and I love uh, throwing puns out for my guests, and I threw out every reference I could. I love it. Thank you. Of course. How, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Sunday morning, it's 90 degrees. Yes, and you're Live in Astoria. In yes, I'm in Astoria. Um, for the listeners, I am not in Astoria this time. I am home in New Jersey and uh, staying with my mom for a little bit. Uh, so I'm in the basement. So the good thing about this podcast is you don't have to hear my air conditioner because we have central air here. <gasps> that's oh probably God. the only benefit of this podcast right now, of doing it here, is the AC. The lighting setup, I hate. The computer setup where my microphone, I hate all that. But you know what? I'm, I'm cool, and we all know I'm, as a sweater, I need the cool. Yes, I have my AC blasting on me right now. And I, I'm, I'm so bad at this point. Instead of turning off the AC, I just have a sweatshirt handy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear that. Degrees. Yeah, it's, it's a scorcher, but, I mean, global warming, it's a thing. Yes, it's real, everyone. It's real, it's real. So we're here to talk about you, and I'm excited because you are someone who I feel like you are part of the Astoria community, but you deserve to be a part of the big New York drag scene community. And when we get back into the world, I feel like it's your turn. So oh, we're here to lift you up like Rafiki did with Simba and say, here's Angela Mansbury, <laughs> New York Booker. Please. Oh, that's very flattering. Thank you. So let's talk about you, but we're going to go from the very beginning. Yeah. Where are you from? Uh, I grew up in Howell, New Jersey, um, oh. a town right off Route 9 in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. um, I went to Howell High School. I was in a performing arts program um, called FPAC. It was a really, right. every, it was basically a magnet school for everyone in the district. We go to the specific school for theater. And of course, my big thing that I did when I was 11 years old, I was an equity actor. I was like, oh, look at yeah. you. Yeah. How'd that come about? I started in second grade. I had a second grade teacher named Miss Dinette, and um, I sang a song in the show, and she just kind of said, you should take him in for auditions. And we lived nice. in New Jersey, so it made, it was easy enough to go in right. and out of the city. Um, so for years, it was me and my mom. We would go into the city for auditions. We'd take the train. She'd drive in. We'd take the bus. Um, all sorts of auditions. How many times did you audition uh, for the little kid in Les Mis? <laughs> I never auditioned for him. You know why? I was too why? small. Why? Really? Small. Yes. Okay, that that could, that checks out because that kid needs to be that little, just going through the going yes. through the revolution. He has, that he has to be a certain height, but of course, I do know someone who was a Gavroche when we were kids. Oh, yeah, um, who, who? Um, his name's Gerard, Gerard Canonico. Oh, of, of, uh, of Spring Awakening fame? We had the same agent as kids. Oh, cool. So him and I would go to a lot of different events 
together. And him and I were actually both, the, what got me in equity, I was in a Christmas Carol at Madison Square Garden. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, Tim Curry was Scrooge. Uh, wait, 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 we've gone this far knowing each other and you never told me you oh. worked with Tim Curry? Uh, yes, when I was 11 years old. Uh, and uh, it was really cool uh, because part because Clue I already loved at the time, but of course the first thing in my brain was him as Nigel Thornberry. Of course. And I remember one time I he was like, you know, we were in the bathroom, he's smoking a cigarette out of the window. And I go up to him with my script for an autograph and he signs it. He was very nice. That's um, cool. I have one picture with him from opening night. We got like one picture with him. Um, but the twist in that story was I was the understudy. So oh, I, mm -hmm. I was, there were two kid tracks and I covered both of them. So I was there twice the amount of time, uh, but I never actually went on. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, it was a tough reality at 11. Yeah, um, I, can, but the, I can imagine. But the good thing was I got to work with really professional people and still to this day, it's kind of is amazing that I did that. Yeah, and, and it's, my, a, it's a great story to tell. It's a great story. Yeah, it's a great story. And then it was like, so I was equity at 11, which I know a lot of adult actors would be envious of. T. <laughs> um, but the truth is like, it just kind of happened. And if you were in that show, you automatically got inequity. So right. it wasn't a point thing. Um, but then of course, it was a harsh reality too at a young age, uh, going in and out of city of the city for auditions and you know being turned away for things that you couldn't change. I remember right. that being very affecting for me as a kid, um, being like, okay, I could be the most talented person in the room, but if I'm under five feet, then you're not interested. Right. Uh, and so that was that kind of formed a seed in my brain at a pretty young age. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So you did theater as a kid. Mm -hmm. It's time to go to college. Where did you go? I went to Muhlenberg College in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, me and Petty Cash went to the same college. Uh -huh. And our mutual friend, <laughs> Mike Bloom. Yes, Mike Bloom. We were in the same fraternity. Oh, fun. I'm mm -hmm. sure you have lots of stories there. Yeah, he's a sweetheart. Yeah. What did you study at Muhlenberg? Uh, so I originally wanted to be a veterinarian. Uh, and I changed. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I was really into science, but clearly science wasn't into me. Um, <laughs> it was not mutual uh, because I kept wanting to do creative things and the professors were like, no, that's, this is science. You can't, <laughs> you can't be doing dressed up presentations. Um, and so I changed majors and I did the most vague thing you could possibly do, which is major in communications and minor in business. So that's what I did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so at that time, what, what did your professor say that your next step in life would be? The funniest thing was I literally went to the student like career center at my school and I was like, you know, I really like marketing. I'm also really interested in theater, but I'm not sure how to reconcile those two things. Mm -hmm. And the person was just like, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what you would do. And I'm like, well, that was helpful. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. I mean, I'm, I, I, I don't know timeline wise, but I feel like you graduating was around like the real rise of social media. So like, no one really was capturing that field quite yet. That's true. That is true. I mean, truthfully, the first couple jobs I had in the real world were doing social media because right. that's what people were hiring young kids to do. Yeah, because that's the kids these days, they only know how to tweet and twat. Oh, my God. And I taught myself Photoshop for certain mm -hmm. earlier jobs. You know, it's like those kind of things when you've got to be young, scrappy, and hungry. Yeah. So when did you officially come to new york was it after college did you go back to jersey first i was in jersey for maybe a year i would i would start having jobs in like northern jersey so i'd be driving up and back every mm -hmm. day 
Um, and I moved to New York, I want to say six years ago. Okay. Uh, and I've pretty much been in Astoria ever since. Mm -hmm. um, in the same apartment for the most part. There were two oh, nice. years yeah, I, mean, I went other places, but. Yeah, that's about uh, my tenure at my apartment has, has been about six years. You know, it's, I just love this neighborhood. It's great. It's a fabulous area. Now, as a New Jersey native, I have a very important, two important questions first. Yes. Taylor Hammer Pork Roll. What is it called? Pork Roll. Wrong. Um, <laughs> how many parts of New Jersey are there? Three. Wrong. Oh, God. There is a, there is a central. I grew up in central. No. And it is a real thing. No. After Newark, we're in South Jersey. No, we're not. Yes, Newark? Yep, Newark, South Jersey, below. Mm -hmm. No, I don't accept that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so drag. When did it officially enter your life? So that was just over two years ago. Um, suddenly Seymour would do, I think she did it twice a year. It was called the Debutante Ball. Yep. And it was for first timers who wanted to do drag. Uh, and it was the kind of thing like I'd always thought about it. I did drag once in college but I didn't have the name Angela Mansbury. Mm -hmm. uh, I had the name Anna Banana. Anna Banana, of course, naturally. Anna, Anna Banana. You and probably 40 other queens in New York, in uh, right. the world. Right, I, clearly it wasn't an original name, but I remember I did Strongest Suit from Aida, and I did it like rehearsing in my bedroom with like three different costume changes. Naturally. My shoe flew off within the first 15 seconds of the number. Did you hit anyone? I didn't hit anyone, it just like, it. blew off. And then I spent, of course, the next like 15 seconds of the number putting the shoe back on. <laughs> um, so it was very memorable, um, but I didn't really do it after that. I didn't do it again until this came up at Albatross two years ago. And it was the kind of thing like, Albatross is like my home. I go there all the yeah. time. I remember the first time I ever saw Suddenly Seymour at Albatross. And I remember singing along to the Elephant Love medley and As just thinking- like everyone, yes. If you have not really done the Albatross experience until you sing in four-part harmony at, uh, at a Sutton Seymour show. And, uh, and I just remember thinking, I'm like, this is a different kind of drag I hadn't seen before. It's, sure. this, it's this community building. It's a very safe place and everyone's so supportive. Uh, and it's a very big theater crowd. Absolutely. I had never really, I feel like before going to Albatross, I hadn't really found a bar that like, really is great for musical theater. Sure, sure. Um, do you remember who else was in your debutante class? I do. Uh, it was Pussy Willow. Mm -hmm. She was in it with me. Um, Ducky Shea Boy. Uh-huh, legends uh, already. Yes. Um, those are the main two that are still performing. I remember my friend Lily Lilac was in it. Mm -hmm. I, remember, I remember it was host by Cacophony Daniels. Okay. So and that kind of, that made me love her even more. Um, that's what I remember. There were others too, but the, I think those were the main ones who like still sure. continually perform. So how would you describe Angela in three words? <laughs> um, I would say kind. Mm -hmm. I would say funny. Yeah. And I would say... Um, I don't want to say spooky. There's something unnerving. <laughs> okay, unnerving. Um, I, okay. It, it, there's because it's something. Um, because I love doing a combination of dark humor, 
um, with yeah, I mean, you theater. definitely have that like smile that you, that's welcoming, and then you have the knife behind your back that you're ready to just stab someone. Yes, I like to think of Angela Mansbury as part detective and part serial killer. Yeah, you you don't quite know what her deal is. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, I always want to be one of those queens who's very kind and warm, yeah. almost like the grandmother who's like you're going to sit and watch a show with in the middle of the afternoon. Yeah. That's, that's the way I yeah, I remember some, I don't even know, I can't, I don't know dates or time anymore, but I remember um, when I had that brilliant idea for you for a cabaret. Yes. Mm-hmm, <laughs> waiting for it to happen. I know, I'm still thinking about it. Murder, oh no, she better don't. <laughs> that's right. The story of Angela Lansbury killing people. I mean, go on Reddit, it's all there. <laughs> the material is all there. Well, speaking of Angela Lansbury, I'm sure there is a story behind the name. <laughs> Sure. Um, and of course, the funniest thing about that is it was, a, it was actually a running joke among me and my college friends. For some reason, mm-hmm. we found Angela Lansbury really funny, and we always loved the idea of Angela Mansbury. I don't know why, but we, it was a running joke for us. And it wasn't until I signed up for the debutante ball that I was like, that's going to be my name. Yeah. And the funniest thing was that at the time, my only context for Angela Lansbury was a few musicals. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen, um, I've never seen her on stage, which I'm dying. It, I, have, I need to see her on stage live one day. Um, but I, I grew up, the big reason was because I just loved Sweeney Todd. Sure. I mean, Sweeney Todd, when I was about 11 years old, I reconstructed the entire set of Sweeney Todd out of Legos. <laughs> and, I, and I would perform the entire show, the double disc CD in my room, moving the little Legos no, wait, wait, around. Wait, wait, wait. You were an equity actor. Did equity know about this performance? <laughs> no, don't tell them. Oh, fuck. You're screwed. <laughs> I'm not an equity anymore. But, uh, <laughs> Neither but am I. <laughs> yeah, eventually it was like, why do I have this? Um, but yes, yeah, so I remember loving her i remember thinking at a very young age i was like ah mrs lovett is probably my favorite role ever written Mm -hmm. because she's so lovable and so funny but she also has this sadness sure Um, she loves sweeney who will never love her back and so she gives him so much without him giving anything back and i feel like i know that story very well relatable hashtag relatable um but i remember thinking at a young age i'm like wow this is one of the best characters ever written but i'll never get to play her Sure. Um, because I'm a boy, and so I'll never get to play Mrs. Lovett. Um, and so that kind of was always in the back of my head. So, of course, the first time I ever did drag, of course, I did The Worst Prize in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was thinking, I'm like, well, what do I do after this? What else do I do? And that's when I kind of, that's when I expanded my horizon and understanding of Angela Lansbury, was I started watching Murder, She Wrote, and I started watching her classic MGM movies. And you see that she is just a chameleon. She does great in comedy she does great in drama and she just plays these very real character characters yeah um they don't feel like characters they feel like people even though they're very um satirized at times sure um i just think she has this magical quality and i love i love angela because she clearly has such a kindness to her despite how famous she is she's a very kind person and she doesn't think of herself as she thinks of herself as a vehicle for the characters that she plays. Mm. I've been watching a lot of interviews with her, and I just think it's, she doesn't feel this amount of ego sure. that a lot of performers do. It's almost like the, the character comes out of her, and she just kind of lets that happen, which I just kind of find her, I find her continually inspiring. Mm-hmm. 
And it's it's one of those, I really love that I chose her name because I just, her legacy is something I think we kind of take for granted in the gay uh, community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we know her songs and we know who she is, but she's also not maybe the level of camp fame that other people are. Sure. Um, that's why I'm really glad that I get to kind of carry the torch for her. I love that. The woman's 94 years old. And if I can still go in front of people and make people laugh singing her songs, that just goes to show she's timeless. Yeah, I mean, I do have to ask, have you done a lip sync of her um, brilliant late 80s, I believe, um, um, spa video? Oh, yes. Um, It's called Positive Moves, I think. Yeah. What she was sixty something when she made that, and we're and we're getting very close to her hoo ha. Oh, it is, and her in like the bubble bath. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, oh yeah, I do a mix. Well, I actually do a whole Angela Mansbury song. It's usually how I close the show, and there are segments from that that I. Use. Um, and I'm sure because I know I've sent it to you. You've seen the Devin Green uh, lip dub of it. Yes. Yes. Very. Ooh, funny. 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 Very um, funny. Will that be uh, Angela Lansbury's legacy then? That video. I think it's one of, I think it's probably the most memeable, uh, in addition to the memeability. Do you know why she did it? Like, did I she have no idea. Or did she, was she feeling herself? Like, what, what prompted I, that legend to do that? I have no clue why she did that. That's um, the first question I ask her. Oh, it's a great question. <laughs> why? Why did you, why did you, but she also took some interesting, um, like she, there was a point in her career, I want to say that was, while she was doing Murder, She Wrote. It almost had to be. Yeah, when she released I believe that. so. So I guess, I mean, she does was very fit for her age. Jessica Fletcher doesn't drive, so Jessica Fletcher's always riding a bike. <laughs> She's got some right. great cardio. She's getting her steps in, that's for sure. That is true. So I guess that was the jumping off point. Nice. Well, <laughs> I want to know. Yeah. How long does it take to transform into Angela? I usually allow myself three hours. Okay. Um, it can take less than that. Um, but I also, I mean, in, in the digital world, I don't have to do as much in terms sure. of from the waist down. Because mm-hmm. um, so, of course, anyone who's ever seen me live, I have 60 inch hips and a 40 inch waist. So my proportions are very odd in person. Uh, but of course on camera, I don't need a giant pillow attached to me. No. Um, but. But so it's, it's usually a little less than three hours. But the thing that I do, what I love to do is I don't like to do just a typical beauty makeup. Mm-hmm. I purposely, um, I like to take the time to really go in, make the lines of my face look older. Yeah, you, you, you do that stage makeup like yes. no one else. Classic. Yeah. And it's, and it's, you know, it's one of those things where I, I really love defying people's idea of what they think good drag is. Sure. Uh, you could argue like there are so many queens that are so focused on being young and beautiful and I people always tell me how beautiful I look in drag and it's funny because I don't think of myself as beautiful um but I also understand that if people are able to find the beauty in Angela Mansbury then they should be able to find the beauty in themselves sure um and that's why I really like to age myself up and, and give myself a little odd proportions is because it's different and you should be able to appreciate that. Do you have any fans who will see you out of drag and be like, what, that's you? Oh, all the time, all the time. And it's, it's, it's funny because I, I'm getting to the point where I'm literally only wearing t-shirts during this whole ordeal and I have so many Angela Lansbury t-shirts. <laughs> so people do, 
um, people don't get it sometimes. People assume that I'm older than I am, which I'm like, okay, I'm doing something right. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any traditions that you have when you get ready? Um, not necessarily. Um, I mean, I, I need to listen to music. Music is my number one. Mm -hmm. um, now, is it mixes that you're re-listening to or is it something out like completely different? Usually I listen to a whole soundtrack. That oh, usually helps to center me. Um, I'll listen to like the whole Sweeney Saad soundtrack or I'll listen, I, Chromatica of course has been my, basically my life soundtrack. Could you imagine that as like an operetta? Oh, I could easily. There, it's crossed my mind quite a lot. Um, the new Who's Tommy? Uh, oh yeah, I'm in, I'm in. I need another American Idiot. My yeah. the void has not been filled since American Idiot closed. T. I love American Idiot. So do I. Shout out Gerard Canonico, I love you. Oh, such a brilliant show. I think I saw it three times. The last time I saw it when Billy Joe Armstrong was in it as uh, St. Jimmy. And there were a lot of people in the audience who thought they were going to a Green Day concert and were very upset. I was like, you're Musical idiots. Theater. Yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, I just love, I, I was in a musical theater acapella group in college, which like, nerd alert. Um, but I started writing music that way. That was actually how sure. I got into writing mixes was because I was writing acapella music in yeah. college. And I arranged 21 Guns oh, from that show. Man. And I love that song. It's a I gorgeous, to, gorgeous song. I can listen to 21 Guns a hundred times. Do you have any favorite makeup products that you use? Uh, I guess the only brand I'm pretty on is Krylon. I use, the, love. TV, I use the TV stick and the clown white. That okay. is my... I feel like that is my one, it's not expensive, but it is like no, a no. brand name that yeah. I specifically seek out whenever I need a foundation or a contour. Yeah, we, we stand Krylon. This coronavirus better be kind to Krylon because if we lose that, lose that store. Yes. It's holy important. Shit. It's our only store. Yeah, it's They're so very necessary. Nice. I just remember the first time I went there too and I was like this little baby queen and I was like, I need a foundation and a contour. Because up until that point, I was literally just running through the aisles of CBS, right, grabbing things and making sure the women weren't judging me. Um, so I went to I went to the uh, Krylon store and that they helped me pick it out. Oh my god, godsend, yeah. godsend. Shout out Tim Pearson. Yes. Who were some of the first people that helped you on your drag journey? Um, the first person that comes to mind was um, when I first started doing makeup. I basically, leading up to the drag debutante ball, I had a month to essentially mm -hmm. create a character. Sure. And I had never done makeup on myself really before. At the stage, I never really wore much makeup, so I never really had to do it myself. Um, so I had to teach myself. And I remember one of the first people I got together with to do makeup with was Petty Cash. Okay. Um, because we went to the same college. She's a great drag queen. Um, so I reached out to her and I was like, could I get together with you and just kind of do our makeup together? So I went to her apartment, we did it together and she was the sweetest. Yeah. She gave me some good tips that I still use today. Um, so she was great. I remember my friend Christy is very good with female makeup. So she helps me just kind of get a concept of what a be standard beauty makeup is. Sure. Um, and it's funny. I, I, it's, it's, um, I mean, I remember during like the early shows, I was very perceptive of what people picked up on and what they didn't. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of the fun thing about mixes and writing your own numbers is I, I wrote numbers sometimes two years ago that I still do. And there are other ones I've only done once and never did them again. Yeah, And it's just because you kind of need to be able to 
not all, not all of them are going to work. Absolutely. Not all of them are going to be perfect. So it's you just have to be very perceptive in terms of, oh, people didn't laugh at that joke. Okay, not put that in the back of your head. Okay, maybe there's a way to change that. Or So I feel like that's kind of been a big development of my voice as a drag queen is through the numbers that I write. Yeah. How um, else do you think you've changed and grown since you started? Oh, I mean, it's so funny because I feel like getting into drag just came in at the perfect time in my life mm-hmm. where I was, I felt stable in my career, but I really wanted a creative outlet. That was always kind of something I struggled working in the corporate world was I was always kind of making that work, but I wasn't making it work for myself. Right. Um, and so when I started doing drag, it kind of became this creative outlet that I always needed. Um, and it combines a lot of talents that I really like. I love performing and I love writing and I love to make people laugh. Yeah. Um, so it kind of became this perfect moment in time that has really affected my daily life because it's one, it's, I kind of became, okay, I, I am a fat kid in a gay bar scenario. And you know, it's that feeling of it's, it's that you feel invisible. Yeah. And so being a drag queen and being bigger, adding to the bulk to make myself an even bigger as a woman, and then you are seen. And it kind of became this really ego boost for me. Sure. Um, for someone for me who I, I'm actually, I'm very outgoing, but I'm also very shy in scenarios when I don't know anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, drag became this really great way of reminding myself that, oh, I'm like, I can be really friendly to people I don't know. And I, it's not that I don't need to worry about meeting new people and assuming they're not going to like me. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's been a very big morale boost for me in my drag and in my daily life, just feeling more confident walking into gay sure. spaces. Now, I, I, you, you had posted something uh, around Pride about um, bigger people not feeling welcome around Pride. Mm-hmm. And... We, the discussion turned into just in the general gay scene. Right. Has drag al- allowed you to feel more welcome? Have people, have those Twinkie gay boys now know you as a drag queen accept you more? I think so. Um, and it's interesting because it's it's interesting because I've never, my version of pride is very much, I get together with some close friends and we celebrate in a little way. Sure. Um, for me, it's never been, um, I've never walked in the parade per se. So I've never been heavily involved in a pride right. event. Um, but I just, I remember one time, I think it was probably like two or three years ago. I remember I wore some makeup. Um, it wasn't a full drag face, but it was like a lip and the highlight and maybe some eyeshadow. And it's just very interesting when you, the way that gay people still have a tough time reconciling gay identities in the way that we present ourselves and the way that it's, it, we, it, masculinity is not just the strength. Femininity can be strength. Right. Oh, it doesn't must need to be that I, uh, you need to celebrate pride and a jock strap and a tank top. Like that doesn't need to be everyone's story. Sure. Um, and I feel like, I do feel like as a drag queen, I've had, people well because it's just interesting because i've never been complimented on my body as a man ever me either um but when i'm in drag people are like wow look at you and that does that can affect your brain in negative ways sure absolutely it starts to become oh i'm not pretty unless i'm fake unless i'm patting myself and singeing my waist and it becomes an artificial um body 
But then it also kind of reminds you that if, the way you present yourself in the world is very important, but also you need to know that you're presenting the right way for yourself. And if people don't get that or don't accept that, then that's their problem, not yours. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like gay culture is... It, it, calling it a community is a very, very nice thing to do, but it's not. It's not a community. It never yeah. has been and never will be because there are people within who are willing to tear each other down. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot is. of hurt in our community. And and as a bigger person, it, I've, I've felt it. Like, literally, two nights ago, I got an unsolicited message on Grindr saying, you're a fat fuck. The guys you're into are never going to fuck you looking like that. You're an embarrassment. Oh God! Then I I was blocked, so it was a whole mess. Yeah. And I wish I could say that was the first time I've received something like that. I know, but it's not. Of course. And it 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 is a morale destroyer because you're like, I'm trying to accept myself as I am, but other people can't even do that alongside me. Like, what? Am I never going to be accepted because I'm not a skinny ass twink? Like, why is that the definition of gay culture? And I think in the drag world it's almost accepted to be different um but yeah as you were as you were saying i mean i think and it's scary that someone feels like they have the right to do that and it is and i think it's because as a community we hold up these these perfect people as these are the these are the people that we need to look up to in our community right um but that's not that's not actually true um I don't, I don't think the community can be really just represented by perfect bodies because that's not how it actually is. I agree. I mean, it's, and I think it's media, media is a big part of it. There's very, whenever we do get gay representation, it's usually a perfect pretty body. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of adds to that. It's kind of, and I feel like, I feel like the best way to stand up to that is to live your best life and not let it affect you. And of course it's easier to say than done. Um, But it's, that's something I really hope that we can take a time to really think about is just, we're supposed to be a community and we're supposed to be so open and accepting, but in in practice, we're actually not. Exactly. And we can always learn and we can always grow. It just depends about how many people are gonna actually learn and grow. Yeah, it's, 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 it's unfortunate. I mean, I'm not a drag queen. So I haven't been able to get that full, full circle experience where people will now accept me. But as someone who is kind of prominent in nightlife and has a slight position of power, it it has changed things. People see yeah. me in a slightly different light. Not I'm not saying just drag queens. That's a whole mm. different conversation. <laughs> um, but people in a bar, they they know me. I mean, through iconic, there are people who are like I know who you are, and I'm like I don't know who the fuck you are, but they know me because of the show. And that's kind of flattering and cool, but I wish it wasn't because of a moment of power. I wish it was because of me, but I I think we as a community have a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. And until we stop tearing each other down, it's not going to change. I completely agree. And that's why like, that's why as me as a drag queen, I'm not a huge shade thrower. Yeah. Um, And it's because I don't, I don't, I would never want someone to feel like I'm putting them down in order to make me feel better. I feel right. fine. I don't need to put anyone down in order to feel good. Uh, and so I think that that's just a little lesson for, especially the younger gay kids. 
who are just yeah. now going to bars and kind of seeing that behavior and seeing it as accepted. And it's, I think it's a good thing to take a step back and think about, you know, what, why are you doing that to someone? Yeah. You know, I know we all have pasts, we all have experiences that affect us, um, that make us want to um, be, have a better feeling about ourselves. Sure. But putting other people down isn't the way to do it. Not at all. No. Well, speaking of the gay bars, when the world was normal, you hosted a murder mystery matinee where you would take an episode of Murder, She Wrote, and turn it into an interactive viewing party and drag show. How did this come about? Because it is one of the most <laughs> brilliant experiences I've ever been a part of. Thank you. Um, it was the funniest thing because... As I said, Murder, She Wrote was not my initial thought when right. I chose the name Angela Mansbury. I hadn't watched that show until maybe, I don't know, I just started digging into our older things and I was like, okay, this keeps coming up. I should know what this is. And I started watching a few episodes and I just started picking up on the fact that these are so episodic. There's the same structure in every episode, most of them. Yeah. Um, and how many and, episodes do they end up filming? Oh, there's like 224 or something like it's that. It's out of control. It's insane. It it's was on the for same 12 thing. seasons. <laughs> it's literally the same thing in a different location. Yeah. And Jessica Fletcher randomly has either a relative somewhere or some friend that she knows from God knows when. Um, and she just, I just started noticing it was very episodic. And so yeah. I started thinking about, okay, this could be a really fun recurring idea. And I always loved murder mysteries. Yeah. I mean, murder mysteries, I mean, I remember reading and then there were none when I was in middle school and I couldn't put it down. I, I analyzed the the poem in that book. I was just, I was obsessed with Agatha Christie. Sure. So I just, I just really was looking for something that was a little different. I, Cause I also, I remember when I first started doing drag, I've seen so many drag shows and I knew I wanted some structure to it. So there, it's not just numbers and it's not just a show. I wanted to invite the audience to play along with me, sure. which is always one of my favorite things. Uh, and so that's how I came up with this idea. I have six suspects and I present them in the episode. And of course, within the first 15 minutes, one of the people is dead. And then, and then I thought it would be a good idea for the bar because then if every drink that you buy, that's how you vote for the killer. So of course, yeah. that's bringing money into the bar while they're watching the show. People are more likely to stay at the bar to watch the entire show as, just, as opposed to just stopping in and buying one drink seem to make sense from the performer perspective and from the bar like capitalism wise there's your marketing degree there's market there you go yeah i i, it, I do think about that and the, absolutely it, the good thing that was uh, i didn't rush into it I, I took a few months for me to really think about how would this really work i remember one day i was going to albatross for like happy hour and i was i was like oh how do i talk to nathan about it how do i how do I propose this to the bar to see if it'll work? And I remember one day I went and I was like casually talking to Joey Paradise. Shout out to Joey Paradise. I love you. Um, I remember the first time I was just kind of like, you know, Joey, what would, how, would we be able to play a television show off of the screens? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I think we could do that. And I'm thinking like, you're okay. This is good. So it all kind of took, it took him realizing that the tech could work. That was a big reassurance. And then I was also thinking, okay, well, there's nothing happening Saturday afternoons. Right. And those are some of the only times I can perform because I work during the week. So I proposed, okay, what if we did this on a Saturday afternoon? You don't even have to pay me. I yeah. will literally just do the show and I can prove it to you that this is a good idea. 
It's like, I was thinking like Shark Tank. It's like proof of concept. Sure. So I did the first few shows and I was just, I wrote it every time. I wrote a script. It was very extensive. Um, and I had to watch the episode multiple times just to be really familiar with it. It was a lot of work each time. Yeah, I can imagine. Each show was essentially a new hour and a half show that I would write each time. And the good thing, the good challenge was that I also put challenges built into the concept, which was that, okay, each time I'm going to premiere a new number inspired by a killer. Mm-hmm. That, so that forced me to write new material every time. So that was the good thing about doing the show for the year. After doing it for a year, I've got so many great dark humor numbers yeah. that I've just written over time. And it was, um, it was kind of the perfect entryway into hosting my own show. And I, sure. and I, I grew more confident on the mic because of course performing I was always comfortable with, but being on the mic as a drag queen is definitely a learned skill. Hosting is not easy. And, and anyone who easy. says you can, anyone can do it is wrong. Yeah. And there's a reason like, for example, like Heidi Ho, there's a reason why she's so good at hosting is because she just is a pro. Uh, and so it's, uh, that's just something you get better at the more times you do it. Yeah. So every time I would go out there for the monthly show, I'd get a little more comfortable. I would have a new number that I would do that I felt really good about. And so, and people responded. It was yeah. one of those things where people started getting excited and asking me what I was doing. And it was just a- um, I mean, I remember when you you did start it and I we were all like, who the fuck is this bitch coming in and getting a show at Albatross out of nowhere? It's true. It's true. And, and, and it, it grew a lot of curiosity within at least the Astoria community. Mm -hmm. And we all came and showed up and we're like, okay, she's the real deal. I remember that show too. It was like the second or third show and there were all of these drag queens in the audience who I had so much respect for. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, here we go, here we go. This is like opening night when you got Ben Brantley coming to the show. Like this is- and, And the thing is, is like, again, back to this, what the fuck is the definition of a real community? It's competitive. It because, is. It is competitive. Because it takes so much time and effort to get a show in this city. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, this queen comes with this new concept. Like, what, what the fuck is this? But you showed up and showed out and proved, yeah, you deserved it. Thank you. And it was a, it was one of those things where I really needed to believe in myself. And everyone was kind of like, a murder mystery in a gay bar? Like, yeah. isn't that a little touchy? Um, and I was like, why? Everyone loves murder mysteries. Why right. can't, why can't, why? Because I know, because I do think of gay bars as safe spaces. Right. Uh, but I also know that gay people love horror movies. I love that they this, fucking do. It is, it's, I love that's one of my favorite things I've learned is that I wasn't the weird one that loved horror movies. <laughs> it was gay. I related to so many of these great uh, final girls and even the killers. Yeah. and. Like, there's a great documentary I watched. Have you watched Monsters in the Closet on YouTube? I have not. It's an hour-long documentary about queer representation in horror movies. Oh, cool. Highly recommended. It was great. Oh, nice. And then, so it's just, it's fun because I do these numbers that I do have an, I have a number called Calling All Final Girls, where it's literally a scene where I have a telephone and getting called from the killer. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, like, is this going to resonate with people? Like, is this not it's not musical theater and it's not a dance bop death drop. So what sure. does it work? And then of course people coming up to me saying Halloween and scream and um, it, it, it just kind of resonated and Clue, Clue was a big yeah, one. Absolutely. Um, but it was just kind of, it, it, people would come up to me and they said, I get you. 
I yeah. get what you're doing. And it was the kind of thing where I was like, wow, okay. So I can have this really strange voice right. in the world. And it does resonate with people. And and you have a pretty unique following for this show and for yourself, where you have the drag fans, but you also have these people who are not necessarily drag fans sure. coming to see you at Albatross. Sure. What is it I, like I, to have that? It's a great crowd. I love the Albatross crowd because we get because it's a, earlier in the day. It's you can get you can get a crowd or crowd of older people who normally probably wouldn't go to a gay bar on right. a Friday or a Saturday night. And I loved that because it, they felt like they could come, and it was something that was. It was easy to watch, so it wasn't a lot that was asking of the audience. You could kind of watch and enjoy and just have a really nice, um, I wouldn't say relaxing per se, but it is a low-key time as opposed yeah. to a dance club. Um, and so you would get that, but then you'd also get, I had so many young gay people. I loved starting my show every time to ask how many people I'd never seen Murder, She Wrote. And mm -hmm. you'd be shocked about the number of people pretty much at every show that had yeah. never seen it before. I remember I hadn't seen it until a few years ago. And I remember the only thing I had in my head was that like my grandma loved it. Sure. Um, and I think that was a lot of, I've gotten a lot, a lot from young gay men specifically who were like, I watched this movie, this show with my grandmother and it's nice and she's not around anymore. And it's a nice feeling that I can still watch this and think about her. And yeah. So it's, it does have a very big crossover. It's, mm -hmm. it's very, very interesting. We're obviously deep into coronavirus time. Yes. Quarantine still happening, it's not happening. Lots of controversy. Who knows where the world is going to be a week from now, two months from now. True. Will you consider bringing the show into a digital format? I've thought about it. Um, the difficult thing with Murder, She Wrote is I don't actually have the rights to screen it. Sure. So... And no one stopped me yet, but I also wouldn't want, I don't know, I haven't figured out quite the way to do this show specifically in a digital format because it is so much about watching and I haven't found a good way to like stream something that's high quality, but it is possible. Yeah. Um, I've thought about it, but I haven't, I've also been working on other concepts outside of Murder, She Wrote in this, in this time, just trying to explore what else I could do because it yeah. is, I don't want my legacy to just be about Angela Lansbury and doing Murder She Wrote. I do, I do think it's fun to surprise people and that they may they may think of me as the Murder She Wrote queen, um, but I also couldn't do other forms of murder mysteries yeah. that can be really engaging. So that's kind of what I'm thinking about. That's fair. Do you have a favorite episode of Murder She Wrote? Yes. Um, my favorite episode is called, I want to say it's called Death Takes the Bus or Murder Takes the Bus. Um, I, did I did screen it during one of my episodes and I think it is my favorite. It's, mm -hmm. it's, the reason is because it reminds me of a lot of it, Agatha Christie book. Um, it's essentially all of these people on a bus in the rain and the bus gets stopped at, a, at like a coffee shop because the, the road is closed and one of the passengers on the bus is stabbed with a pencil. Naturally. Oh no, it's a screwdriver. Even better. <laughs> a screwdriver. You find the body and there's a screwdriver sticking out of him. Um, but so it's, it's a, one of those perfect, there's a term for it in the murder mystery world of like closed circle mm -hmm. because there's no one coming in or out. So it's right. one of the people that was there that is the killer, which is always my favorite kind. Sure. Um, I, when it's like a mob or it's like a, I don't know. Those are my least favorite murder yeah. twists. 
Um, but this one's great because it's self-contained in an eerie setting. You have Rue McClanahan playing a librarian who is, <laughs> she has like, uh, she has this knitting bag and she's very like uppity. Yeah. So she's great in it. It's, it's, it's a great episode. Uh, and also like the dad from My Big Fat Greek Wedding plays the bus driver. Uh, it's, it's got some great, it's a great episode. Yeah. I highly recommend um, it. I don't know if you've done this one as a um, uh, murder mystery matinee yet, but um, I, I would like to see the Friends episode. <gasps> oh my God, the Friends episode. Um, so bad, wait, so, so good. Well, for those of you who don't know, there was an episode, and that was in the final season. And yes. the the last season of Murder, She Wrote is widely regarded as like the worst because mm -hmm. the storylines don't really make sense. And the reason why I haven't done the Friends one is because it's not, it's, it's a crazy episode. It's crazy, it's, but the references are so good. Well, okay, so here's the tea about that episode. So Murder, She Wrote was, I want to say, airing on Sunday nights. Yep. And so they got bumped because Friends started. Yep. And apparently Murder, She Wrote knew that it was only going to have one final season. So they did an episode um, throwing shade at Friends. And there, yep. are there are a bunch of like 20-something people. Doppelgangers. Yes, doppelgangers right down to Friends. And they're like sitting in a cafe. It looks exactly like Friends. But then, of course, there's a murder that takes place. And they're all like want at each other's throats and behind the scenes. Um, yeah, no, I haven't done that one. And I think it's because I'm not a huge Friends fan. I've okay. watched a few episodes of it, but like, if you're a true Friends fan, I'd highly recommend that episode yeah. of Murder, She Wrote. We're going to play our first game in the podcast. It's called This or That. Okay. I'll give you two options, and you're going to tell me which one you prefer. Okay. All right, we're going to start with sweet or savory? Savory. Video games or board games? Video games. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Iced coffee or hot coffee? Oh, iced coffee. Dead or alive? <laughs> How do I choose? Um, I mean, alive. As much as I'd love to say dead is better, I mean, I'm alive and yeah. that, that sounds better right now. Woody or Buzz? Oh, Buzz. Lumiere or Cogsworth? Lumiere. McDonald's or Burger King? McDonald's. TV or film? Film. Cheetah Girls or Spice Girls? Spice Girls. And finally, Mrs. Potts or Mrs. Lovett? <gasps> Mrs. Lovett. I have to say Mrs. Lovett. I love Mrs. Potts, but imagine a combination of the two, though. Can you imagine? <laughs> I'm um, work on it, bitch. I'm picturing a teapot, like holding a rolling pin, just makes me laugh. I think that's your next quarantine project. Oh my god, that's actually brilliant too, because like Tobias is Chip. Yeah, yeah. They're like the same. Oh yeah, my there god. you go. There you go. The photo shoot. Thank you, Michael. You're welcome. I'm here for all of your brilliant ideas. I got your cabaret set. I got um, your new look. You're, you're good. Um, I know you've mentioned you have a lot of numbers that you created with the show. But do you have one signature number? Um, and if you do, how did it become to be your signature number? Um, and how did you even create it? Sure. Uh, I think the number I am most requested to do is my number inspired by Dolores Umbridge from Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. um, and for and those of the, from, uh, who listen to the podcast, I've only gone through four uh, Harry Potter movies. We, had, we took a little <gasps> pause, and now who knows when we're going to make Mike watch the rest of them. 
So you've so. never seen the Dolores Umbridge one? I, I know who she is. I've never seen her in a film. Oh, she's fun. I think she's even more fun as a villain than the Voldemort is. Yeah. Because um, she just... Because that's kind of what I, I started going on this track of being like, okay, I really love villains. And I think villains who you love to hate is a really great Angela Mansbury motif. Yeah. Um, so that's where I thought of Dolores Umbridge. And the songs just kind of came together in my brain. Because mm-hmm. um, the mix is a combination of Evil Woman and uh, New Rules by um, Dua Lipa, which I yeah. think is my favorite contemporary thing I've ever used in a mix. Because, of mm-hmm. course, it's all about the new rules that Umbridge is making and I'm banging on the wall. Uh, and then, of course, I end with, uh, I don't want to give it all away, but it is a um, its a very fun number where I use a wand and the wand has some surprises to it in the number. And she just is this, I just heard, there's this one part of the mix that I specifically love. And it's the scene when she, uh, when like Harry Potter stands up to her in class and she's like, enough! And she's just yelling in the class. And I just walk through the audience, just like glaring at them, yeah. like holding my wand as if I'm like a nun about to hate with the ruler. And it's just, I just get such a kick out of playing that character. And of course, it's its interesting now because now we're canceling J.K. Rowling, understandably. True. And of course, I'm thinking about how does that, what does that mean t- for my understanding of Umbridge now? And I i kind <laughs> of love that now I'm like queering up J.K. Rowling's character and she has zero control over it. That makes me laugh. Is Angela <laughs> secretly a drag villain? I think, I think so. I mean, she's also, she is the hero. I think she's predominantly the hero. Um, but I think she's always fighting her demons, mm-hmm. I guess. She could easily become a villain. Yeah. Um, but she doesn't because she's full of love more than hate. But it's always that temptation, I think. Where do you get your inspiration? Are you someone who's like character driven or song driven or meme driven or something on YouTube? It comes from lots of different places. Um, most times what I'll do, I just use like different, um, like the notes on my phone and I'll just yeah. think of an idea. I'll be like, oh, that's a funny idea. And I'll write it down. And then I could come back to it months later and there could be another song that I hear in a gay bar one night. And I'm like, oh, that fits the theme that I was thinking of doing for this song. And then I'll write it down. And it's one of those, writing a mix is super fun because even when you sit down and you feel like you have the whole concept in your head, even when you start working on it, you're like, oh, there's another thing I can add in here. And then you try it and see if it works. It right. You take it out. Um, so it really comes from lots of different places. Usually it starts with a theme. Usually it starts with, okay, I want to do a number about time travel, for example. So then I start writing down like all of the time travel references that I know. So I start yeah. writing them down. Okay, what songs would work for that? And of course, the most important part of a mix is the music mm-hmm. because you can put some really great quotes in there and some really great one-liners, but if the music isn't floating that, those comments along during the whole time, the vehicle doesn't work for right. the jokes. So you need to, it, that has stopped me in my tracks a lot of times when writing mixes, is that I have a really great joke that I want to do, but then I don't have the music to be able to sure. stand up to that. Um, so that's always the challenge. Are there any numbers of yours that are often requested that you wish people would stop requesting? <laughs> I haven't been doing long it long enough to get tired of them. Um, and I, I, I have to say, every time someone asks me to do Umbridge, I gleefully do it because I have such a fun time. <laughs> I have such a fun time doing it. Um, so yeah, that, that's never happened. Um, right. it's, um, the funny thing that I'm really 
looking forward to getting back into the bars more is to do more roulettes because yeah. that's been a very freeing thing that I've noticed because of course I'm a Virgo. So I like having things planned and I know what like to know what I'm doing. But sure. then I also find that when I'm not planning things, I have so much fun. Right. So now, are there any songs I... for a roulette that you want people not to request for you? <gasps> oh no. Because oh, I'm, say... <laughs> I'm going to warn everybody once we're back in the world and drag roulettes are a thing again, <gasps> the song that I will be requesting is Ya Ya Ding Dong. I don't know that song. We'll discuss later. <laughs> well, because my first thought is, I remember this happened the last time I did a roulette, and I was like, God, I love this song. So I'm going to request the crowd Mary. Mm-hmm. And oh my God, that is a fun song to perform, man. Yeah. I, I went to see that on Broadway, like right before Broadway shut down. So that was fresh in my brain. Sure. And that's the first song that comes to mind that I would love to do in a roulette. What would I not want to do? I don't know. I love doing all of them. Like, I can't think of, there's no song. Sounds like a challenge. I know, but I feel like nine to five, I love to do. Yeah. It's tough because like, I know a lot of different artists, but also when it comes to like super niche, I just don't know it. Right. But again, it's like one of those worlds where like, if Angela Mansbury is forced to do Cardi B, at least the audience is going to enjoy that. Oh, they'll get a kick out of that, (laughs) wouldn't they? (laughs) Sure would. All right. We're going to play our next game. It's called the Cameo Game Show. If okay. you're not familiar with the website Cameo, you can book a celebrity to record a message for you or a loved one for a small price. But each celebrity has a different cost. In this game, you have to guess who costs more. Oh, this is fun. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to start off with some of the cast members from uh, Survivor Winners at War. Okay. All right. First matchup. Adam Klein or Ethan Zahn? I'm going to say Adam is more expensive. Adam is more expensive, $49. Ethan is 48 What? Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Next, we have Natalie Anderson or Sarah Lucina. Uh, I'm going to say Natalie is more expensive. That is true. $50. Sarah is 49 Oh, they're so close within like a dollar. Yeah. Well, next, we have Boston Rob or Sandra Diaz-Twine. Uh, Boston Rob has to be more expensive. He is one hundred fifty dollars. <gasps> Sandra is forty nine. Wow. He's like, yeah, oh. I'll take a million of these. Just give me my money. I mean, Sandra also. It doesn't take much for Sandra to get right. talking. So she's and like, Sandra you want Sandra's a two time millionaire. So she don't need that money. <laughs> That's true. She's like, sure, why not? Next, we have Michelle Fitzgerald or Wendell Holland. Uh, I'm gonna say Michelle. No, it's Wendell. Wendell is fifty dollars. Michelle is forty. Wow, okay. Uh, next, we have Parvati Shallow or Tyson Apostle. Oh, it has to be Parvati. Yeah, Parvati is 95. Yeah. Tyson is 49. Wow. 95. Then we have Danny Boatwright or Kim Spradlin. I'm going to say Kim. Yeah, Kim is a sensible $69. Uh, Danny is tw- uh, 20. Yes. Wow, okay. Now, we're going to move into the section of Cameo where I'm going to give you two names who were guest stars on Murder, She Wrote. Okay. And you're going to tell me who costs more. Okay. First one, Caitlyn Jenner or Billy Zane? God, Billy Zane was on an episode? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say Caitlyn Jenner. Correct. Billy Zane, $200. Caitlyn Jenner, $2,500. The Caitlyn Jenner episode is weird. Yeah. I've seen it. It's a weird episode. Next, we have Maxwell Caulfield or Anthony Michael Hall. 
280 stars. I'm going to say Anthony Michael Hall. Yes, Anthony Michael Hall is 150. Maxwell Caulfield, um, Michael Carrington, you can get for $50. Wow, okay. Mm -hmm. Next, we have John O'Hurley or Richard Klein. Richard Klein. No, John O'Hurley. $130 for John O'Hurley and only $100 for Richard Klein. I'm shocked that there are so many of these people on Cameo. <laughs> <laughs> they need money. They need money. And we're, the last one is, we're, you have, I'm going to give you a name and you have to tell me how much they cost. Okay. And this is Angela Lansbury's Buttons co-star. How much can you get a Dick Van Dyke Cameo for? <gasps> oh my God. I, I would say $300. $1,000. <gasps> oh my God. I'm like, can we all pull money together to get a Dick Van Dyke I know. cameo? Dick Van Dyke, can you imagine how adorable that must be? I, right? Oh my God. Why isn't Angela Lansbury on cameo? That would, my 30th birthday's coming up, everyone. Get, Someone find well, her. Well, you can request people to be on cameo. So send cameo message to get Angela Lansbury on there. You know who's is on there that I'm dying to get a cameo from is Elvira. She is. She's on there. Mm-hmm. She's on there for three hundred dollars. I'm just saying, if anyone wants to buy me a birthday present, yeah, I Elvira purchased. is on cameo. I purchased a cameo for someone, and I got um, a cameo from Devin Green, which mm. was wonderful. She was very, very good, very, very sweet. Loved her. Oh, that's great. Well, speaking of people who are on screen, alongside Avant Garbage, you co-host Cinema Showdown on Instagram Live. It's a movie trivia show. Tell us about it. Yeah, so we've been doing this every week. Uh, it is inspired by our favorite movies. Uh, me and Avant, we hosted a Halloween show this past October, and we just became really good friends, and we've really developed a strong friendship over our love of movies. And I thought of this idea of just a, something very casual, where we, we, pick, we pick a genre of film, we each do five questions based on our favorite films from that genre, and we ask 10 trivia questions, and then we each do a number, um, and it's also just a nice time to kiki with her yeah. and, and catch up with her. And if people want to watch and people enjoy and play along, that's great. Um, what are some of the difficulties of bringing a show into the digital realm? Oh, I mean, it's just like the tech is so difficult. I mean, yeah. it's um, because it's, uh, I mean, just took a lot of testing. It took a lot of testing of um, seeing, making sure we both had really good internet connections. Um, what platform do we use? Um, what I mean, I literally do a whole setup with like a sheet in the back with a tripod and the ring right. light and the and the music and the whole setup. There's just a lot of tech. I think this is the hardest part for drag queens right now is we become tech people now because right. we have to, um, and that's not necessarily our strongest suit. Um, so we yeah, have to be I'm, adaptable. Yeah, and I think we've now leaned into this thing where there's an expectation. Like if you do just a show in your room that's not going to be as well received as having a backdrop and, and sure. good quality. And like when, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it a little later probably, but we're going to have another relation and we asked specifically for pre-recorded videos because yes. there, there's nothing worse than watching a live performance that has a lag and you can't hear the music. And it's like, yes. and, and it's tough because you as the performer have no idea. Right. And it, you're it, in it, it, and people are being like, you can't hear you, can't hear you, and you're, you're screwed. The funniest thing happened this past week, because I did a number, and literally as the button of the number ended, I was taken off of Instagram because of copyright. <laughs> oh, fuck. And I was, that had never happened before. Was it Celine? 
It was Celine. So I don't know what it is. Celine kills everybody. It was it was the end of a mix ended with a Celine song and I, it was like on the button was like, boom, screen blank. You have been kicked off Instagram. Yeah. The video has been deleted. Yeah, because like, I mean, I always request Celine uh, because of Ryan, because Ryan and I went to see Celine. He loves Celine, whatever. Yes. But I can't request her anymore right now because her her people just block it all. They're watching. She's out it's, for blood. I know. I'm, 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 <laughs> and, and here I'm like, Celine, then just do a fucking digital show for us. I mean, good God, it's all coming back to me. It's like a seven-minute song. Just please, retire. Right, right. Um, yeah, because, like, I mean, people have requested uh, Nicole's um, Dory mix, and she can't do it. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, so now I can't do it anymore. Yeah, Struck. it sucks, sucks, sucks. It's a bummer. But, like, you know, the, the, it's the kind of thing where you can't get yourself too down about that kind of stuff, too, because we're only human and we have no idea. Right, right. So then when the show disconnects, you get back on, oh, hey, guys, I don't know what happened, but, like, we're just going <laughs> to keep on rolling with it. Are there any future versions of the show that we can expect? Any themes that are in the works? Yes. Yeah, so today, I, with this is going to be released in a few days, but the whim we're doing today is musicals, which I'm super excited about. Um, we're talking about, we have some few other themes floating around. We definitely want to do sci-fi at some point. We haven't done any sci-fi. Uh, we definitely want to do an 80s horror. That's a theme mm -hmm. that we definitely want to do because that's so up our alleys. Um, and I also have an idea for doing something fantasy. I think that would be a really fun theme. Um, and actually, I think what we're going to do, because we have a show July 25th, I want to say. I think it's 26th next weekend. I think next weekend, I think we're going to do Christmas movies. We're going to do Christmas in July. Oh, nice. Um, so, like, that'll be super fun. And, it's yeah. a, and it, that's kind of the fun thing is me and Avon just kind of, we, we throw out ideas, we make it work, and we're like, okay, what can we make it that's really fun? And yeah. so if it makes it, if it entertains us, then that's what we'll keep doing. Well, we are moving into the fans' favorite portion of our show. It is time for tea time. <laughs> okay. Um, your chance to spill some tea on some of your favorite sisters, friends, colleagues, siblings, oh parents. Spill it, bitch. Oh, God. Is there a framework for this? <laughs> Where do we start? Well, yeah, there is. We're going to start off with someone we just mentioned. Let's hear some tea on Avant Garbage. Avant Garbage. Um, I love working with her. Um, the tea, I mean, there's not necessarily any tea. Uh, her and I, the funniest thing about her and I, the, the, you would never think that the two of us would work together. Yeah. Um, because I am this old musical theater queen and she's very, a lot more rock and roll and grunge and she's, but we do have a commonality in that we both, we have a different form of beauty. Sure. Um, and that was something that always gravitated me to her. I mean, I don't know if there's tea. I mean, like we all have our tech issues, of course, during the show, which of course has become a running joke during the cinema showdown as poor Avant screen freezes. Oh, no. Um, yeah, and then we just, but then we keep going. We're like, okay, I'll do the next question. Go. Um, so that's, I mean, that's the only tea, but of course we have to roll with the punches and make it. Sure. Next up is someone you shared the stage with in one of your last live performances. They may be known as a bartender, but we're going to talk about Nicole Anadime. Oh my God. God, I haven't seen her in so long now. Oh, that was fun. That was seriously one of the most fun I've ever had in drag. It, it was, was like, a, what, eight hours? Oh, my God. We kept going because it was me, Avon, and Nickel and a Dime. And it was just so fun because we're like, I have another number. Go. 
Yeah. Um, let's do a roulette. Go. We had we had random free stuff from Pride that we were literally just like, okay, how about a dollar for a coaster? And it was. Just, <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, okay, we just had free stuff around. Who wants a pair of sunglasses? It was so fun because we were all having the best time. Yeah. Oh God. I haven't seen her since then. And that's so sad to think about. I saw her at um, Icon when they opened. When they opened, she's doing good? She's doing good. She's still adorable. Yeah. <laughs> we all love Miss Steven Savage. Oh my God, I know. So cute. Well, next up is someone who I think is pretty damn iconic. Audrey Phoenix. Yes, Audrey. I love Audrey. Um, I've actually never done... I think we've been in the show, we've been in the same bars together and I think we've performed numbers at the same place at the same time, but I don't think we've ever like done a show together. Like mm. we've never, um, but Audrey, I just love Audrey because she, um, she makes me laugh and she does have this, I just love the shaggy number that she does. I could watch it yeah. every day. Um, so yeah, once again, no tea. I mean, it's the kind of, trying to avoid the drama as much as I can, um, which is which is something about the drag world that is easier said than done. Um, yeah, I love Audrey. I, I think she, uh, I'd love to, I'd love to work with her after this is over, because um, she always makes me laugh, and she's one of those just people who, um, I don't know, you can ask her real questions. You can ask her real life questions, and she's not just, um, she's not just climbing away to the top in one of those, one of those scenarios, so yeah. I really like working with her. Next up, Misty Mountains. <laughs> Misty. Misty was one of the drag queens who, when I first saw her, I want to say it was really on, early on when I started doing drag, and she just has this commanding presence mm -hmm. in any show. And I remember the first time I saw her, I was terrified of her because I thought she was so, <laughs> she was so on it and so quick that if you ever got in her way... <laughs> Um, yeah, it was it was one of those things where I was just like, "Oh, she's good," and I would not want to be in her bad side. Sure. Um, but I also I've gotten to know her. I mean, I saw her the day uh, Albatross opened back up, and we got to see her, and she's really really nice. And it, yeah. it's so funny that happens with a lot of drag queens. They have these big personalities on stage, and then when you meet them, they're like, "Oh, this is a real person," and they're actually really down to earth. They're not as terrifying as <laughs> out of drag. Um, but huge respect for Misty because she is such a pro and she knows how to make you laugh and she knows it's going to make you laugh. And then she has numbers that she knows are going to be perfect. Right. And it's just, it's a level of confidence that I remember when I first started, I was just in awe of because um, I didn't have that at first. Well, from really, really nice to really, really loud. Next up, Harry Lagrande. Harry <laughs> Lagrande. Um, also, one of my favorite, some of my favorite shows I've done with her. Um, her and I, we did, we did bingo around Christmas time. Yes. And we, she always does a duet, and we had this idea for doing Heat Miser and Snow Miser as the duet. And it was one of those things. I was like, "Is this going to work? It's not really drag, <laughs> but it's you know, it's claymation movies." Oh, it is so drag. Oh, it's so drag. And I remember. Uh, Oh, we just had so much fun. And we did it once before where we did a Wicked song together. And we just, it was one of those things, like, we didn't plan it. We just knew what song we were going to do. And we just would, I would follow her lead at times. We'd be running around the bar because we did, um, what is this feeling from Wicked? Sure. 
And I remember she brought me in a green dress that I could wear over mine and she wore a pink dress. <laughs> and we did the whole number and we were like running through the audience. We're like going in half circles around each other and like the perfect, you couldn't have choreographed it any better. Right. But it just, the two of us just had instincts where we're like, oh, this will be really fun, let's go. And it was very much just like a playtime. We had so much fun. Yeah. And I just, um, Hariola, her and I have a similar, we also have a similar life in that we both have corporate jobs and then we do drag on the side. So we also, her and I have said that we kind of approach drag differently. It's, all, it's because it's not entirely our careers. We look at right. it as a, as a really fun outlet. And so we kind of keep finding ways to keep it fun. Um, and that's why I think her and I work really well together is we both kind of go in there as like, we're just going to have a really fun time and give people a really good show. Yeah. Next up, the one and only Cacophony Daniels. Oh my God, Cacophony. Well, first of all, my mother is obsessed with Cacophony. Mm -hmm. um, she calls her Your mother or your drag mother? My real mother. I know my drag mother, Suddenly Seymour. She is obsessed with her too. But <laughs> the work together. Her show last night was so good. Um, but my mother is specifically in love with Cacophony. So if it's Cacophony, if you're listening to this, my mother is obsessed with you. Um, seriously, one of the most talented people I've ever seen in my life. Um, I don't know how she does it. Yeah. Um, I wish I could sing nearly the notes that she's able to <laughs> sing. Um, but I'm just always in awe of her. She's so freaking talented and so freaking likable. Yeah. Um, She's a great inspiration. I just remember it's she holds a special place in my heart too because she was the host of the debutante ball. And I remember we were all backstage. It was kind of the first feeling of sisterhood that I'd ever really had. Because we're all kind of standing in a circle backstage. And of course on the stage at Albatross, 10 people packed in there, you can right. imagine. Um, and I just remember her saying, you're a winner for being here in the first place. The, the amount of confidence it takes to be in a dress and to be in makeup right now is you've already won. Yeah, and I remember it's it's one of those things where like you hear that a lot in theater, which is like you're do, you're doing it and that's half the battle. But the fact that she was saying that and we were all looking at each other, we're like, yeah, this is really cool. Um, that was a very um, inspiring moment for me, and she she holds a special place in my heart because of that. Next, we have your dear sister, Jacqueline Hyde. Yes, I love Jacqueline. She's so freaking talented too, and I feel like she. She has really come into her own during quarantine because I remember talking to her before this all happened and she was trying to find a way to combine her cooking skills with her yeah. drag. And she, and I feel like this really became something that really worked. Sure. Um, she, and she's on Fire Island this summer. I haven't seen her in a while, but I know she's on Fire Island. Um, and I know she's been doing a lot of amazing things with food. Yeah, I particularly I, loved, have you watched any of her live streams? She does it with her mother. I have not had a chance to. Oh my God, it's adorable. It's yeah. so cute. I saw her the other night at Icon um, and I clocked uh, the lack of brows. <laughs> oh, she shaved them? She shaved them off. Oh, that, yeah, that's serious. I was like, they were blonde already. You could barely see them. That's true. That is but, true. Yeah, they're, it's a different beast without the brows. Yeah, that is the next level. That is the next level of commitment. But, but you know, she, I, I get it. She's doing wonderful things and she's making a name for herself and she's blowing up. Good for her. Good for her. I look forward to seeing her soon. Yeah. And finally, last but not least, must ask you about Mother uh -huh. Knows Best, Sutton Lee Seymour. <sighs> Sutton. Um, and it's it's so funny because she really did change my life. Yeah. Um, she really did. And I remember 
the first couple times going to her show, just being so excited to talk to her. And it's so funny now being on the other side of the curtain uh, to knowing her as a real person. And it's just, she was one of those people who like meeting the idol made it even better. Yeah. And she just, she's very, very supportive. She um, just really inspired me and made me want to do it. And she gives to see people such a great platform for other performers. I remember when I was first starting, she, she said, anytime you want to have be a guest spot, let me know. And then, of course, I'm like, okay, I get to perform at a Saturday night in a crowded bar? Like, that. I've never been able to do that. Um, and so it was just, she was always so giving um, when it came to giving me opportunities and bouncing off ideas. And so it's like, it's been tough. I mean, I, when she was in quarantine and she's still performing in their basement and it's like, she's making it work. It's yeah. not easy. It's not easy. Is, um, is there um, a story you would like to tell the listeners about how your adoption came to be? <laughs> sure. Uh, it was actually the cutest thing. Uh, I came to see Suddenly Seymour's show at Albatross. And I remember she was on the stage and she looked out at, oh, because she was talking about all these queens that she likes in the neighborhood. She's like shouting out to all these local queens. And then she says, oh, and that Angela Mansbury. And she finds me in the back and I'm like, hi. And she looks at me right from the curtain on the mic and she says, you make me want to be a mom again. And I lost it, Michael. <laughs> I was I was standing there with my friend Matt and I was like, did she just say that? <laughs> and it was the kind of thing that I always, it crossed my mind that if I was ever going to have a drag mother, it should be her. Yeah. Uh, and I, it was the feeling, the fact that she reciprocated that without me even saying anything to her about it was very powerful. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Jacqueline was there at the time, too. So I started talking to Jacqueline, like, well, how does this work? What happens? Is there, like, some sort of ceremony? Do I need to sacrifice a goat? Like, what happens? No, you usually sacrifice a twink. <laughs> exactly. Well, you sacrifice the twink by giving them to me. Yes, we, we bless the holy twinkie, and then we suck out all the cream. Yes. Um, exactly. Um yeah, no, so it just kind of happened. Then she finished up the show that night, and then we talked about it. She's like, done. Here we go. Oh, it, like, <laughs> she did, like, a little, little prayer in, our, in a little gay way, and, uh, and that was it. I remember I was just electrified. I was jittery because um, I, uh, I knew it was just very exciting to be recognized by someone you respected so much. Sure. Um, that was a very, very cool moment. That's amazing. It's a very sweet story. Yeah, she's, it's a, it's, He's a great mom. Well, drag is important to the community. Yes. Why? You know, I've been thinking about that uh, um, because it is a very much, I don't know if this is an overstatement, but in my brain, like, I'm not a religious person, but I kind of think of drag queens as the pastors of the gay congregation. And I don't mean that to say that like we are holy or that we are perfect sure. and free of sin per se. Um, but I do think in terms of gathering people together in a safe space, making them laugh, making them think, um, reflecting the emotions that they feel and validating those feelings through numbers and through humor. I feel like drag queens have a very pivotal role in guiding communities and bringing people together. And so I think that is the hardest part of this whole ordeal. 
is that we can't gather together. And so, of course, the feeling that we all felt when we were young gay kids growing up wherever we grew up and feeling alone, it's easy to feel like that now too. Sure. Um, so I think it's even harder for um, people to bring people together and be able to feel that community. But you know, also I do have faith it'll come back. Yeah. And I think that that, that is what drag really is meant to do is to bring people together and you know, if we if it makes us laugh and if it makes us feel like we, you know, it's corny to say, but like theater can change the world. I'm yeah. pretty confident in that. And I think the drag is the same way that you can really train people's frame of mind and making them feel better, or making them feel not as alone. And I think sure. that that's really important. Well, speaking of important things, why and how is social media so influential in the drag scene? Oh, it's huge. Um, and I think it's so huge because we are meant to, we are meant to entertain and we, there, there is a part of drag that is very much about the look. And so that translates very well to Instagram and sure. visual platforms. Um, but also it's just, it's really important because it really is the best way to convey your brand. I know it's, I, I, I know it's, I'm thinking of this from a marketing perspective and it's not, it's. But I do think of drag as a brand. Absolutely, it has to who, be. Who is this character? What does she represent? What just makes her laugh? Um, so when you go to my Instagram page, for example, I want you to feel like even if you've never met me, that you can get a vibe for who I am and what I like. Mm -hmm. And I've had people, I mean, I've connected with people all around the world, which I never would have expected. Right. Um, because there's, um, there are some drag, like I know some drag queens in London that do murder mysteries. Mm -hmm. um, and I know another gay man that does shows where he travels around and does murder she wrote. And it's just, it, you just kind of connect with people in a really interesting way. There are so many drag queens that I absolutely idolize on social media that I don't know if I'll ever get to actually meet. Right. Um, but that doesn't make it less important. I agree, yeah. You can still learn a lot from people. Do you think with this quarantine and people shifting into a digital world, do you think it'll be hard to come back into a live scene and certain queens who have excelled in mm. this digital format, are they going to be able to back go back and excel on stage again? I think it's going to be an adjustment for sure. Um, for one, I haven't worn heels God knows how long. We, I was joking about that with Misty the other day. We're talking about like when we put the heels back on, what's going to happen? Um, it's definitely going to be an adjustment. But I also think the reason why I wanted to do Cinema Showdown is really because it you get better at drag the more times you do it. Right. And so it, even if I'm just doing getting in full face to do trivia game on Instagram, I still know that I can grow each time that I do mm -hmm. it. So I feel like any person who hasn't done anything during this whole ordeal, it's going to be even more of an adjustment. Yeah. Um, because the world is changing. Absolutely. During during this whole experience. And if, and if you're not even reflecting on yourself in that greater story, then that's that's what, that's what how I'm taking this time. Sure. It's a really good time to reflect and learn and, and what can I do better. I um, think one thing that worries me and concerns me is you have some of these um queens who are excelling in this space by doing these elaborate videos and we're right. engaged by these incredible movies they're creating 
but they're not necessarily the best performer. But when we come <laughs> back, they're going to be the ones who are going to be the stars. And I'm very scared for them because you can't rely on this digital creation you've created. You're going to have to be yourself. And I don't know if that's going to work. And I'm really nervous that there's going to be such a massive shift in who's going to be rehired for things, who's going to be back to being actually in the city to be hired. Mm -hmm. I, I, I fear that these queens who have been relying on the video and the iMovie are going to potentially bomb and hurt the drag scene. Well, but also, I mean, you could even say the same thing about Instagram queens. Absolutely. And, and it's this. proven it. It's proven it. it. In it, Drag I mean, Race world, I mean, the people who absolutely. haven't been performers, it shows. Yeah. Uh, and I, I yeah, I, I mean, I think that that's going to be an adjustment, but I think that's an adjustment for, because that, that's the difference for me, was I came from this room performance background. Sure. So I had all of that in my back pocket, and it wasn't, it wasn't a heavy lift for me to be able to make it a drag performance, um, because I'm a femboy, and I love dancing around in my bedroom. Um, yeah. But then so. Who doesn't? Oh, yeah, that's what started it all. I would like to credit Stacy's mom for my inspiration. <laughs> no joke. Oh my God, okay. No joke. That was my first time lip syncing in my bedroom. I would All listen right. to Stacy's mom by Fountains of Wayne. Anyway, I digress. Um, but I, I do think it's, it's performance is the hardest thing for queens to learn, I think. Yes. You can learn makeup. You can learn um, how to sew. You can learn all of the skills to make you look like a drag queen. Mm -hmm. But I also think performance is one of those things that it's a combination of you gotta learn it. Yes. Because there are some people who just don't know the standard rules of performing and that they, simple things like don't turn your back to the audience or simple right. things like um, take the time for the audience to laugh. And mm -hmm. just kind of those little things that you learn just from performing. And then of course, being confident in the performance. Right. You can be a good performer, but then it also is a, you need to bring the confidence to it because no one wants a shy yeah, drag queen. It's true. Uh, you need to be owning that room. Mm -hmm. um, so it is, I, I do think that's going to be a struggle, but I also don't know if that's a new struggle. Sure, that's fair. Um, I, I think it's, um, it, it, it's hard, I, I get it. Like if you don't come from a dancer or performance background, that is hard to learn. It is, it is. All right, so you're going to shock the audience now. You're either going to give us the most obvious answer or you're going to give us something crazy. Okay. Who would you pick to do on Snatch Game? Oh, Angela Lansbury. Obvious answer. I mean, obvious, obvious answer. And it would be, I'm shocked no one has done it. And I feel, right? like it would, I feel like it would be one of those characters that like as Rue is going around the room and I tell him that I'm doing Angela Lansbury and he's going to say, well, what makes Angela Lansbury funny? Everything. Literally everything. Um, and I, of course, would position it as, I don't know, I think if I were to do Angela Lansbury, I think I couldn't resist swapping it out to do two Angela characters, mm -hmm. where it would be Jessica Fletcher and Mrs. Lovett. Sure. And so it would start with Jessica Fletcher, like, finding clues around the booth and, and saying that, like, oh, Nicki Minaj down the thing, she's, I found that she's secretly having an affair. Did you know that? She was... And then, then so like planting clues, yeah. how like that everyone else on the panel is a murderer. Yeah. Um, and then of course, Mrs. Lovett, I think would just be a ball. Yeah. You come out there and she's just, Mrs. Lovett would be so desperate to, 
hello, please don't leave me. And, 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 and you have so many other Angela Lansbury quotes that you can throw in and sprinkle in. So oh, sure. I think it'd be a good, I think it's a good choice. I don't know why no one's done it before. Cause we are moving into this weird territory where we're getting these modern references that are just bombing I don't or they're, that. they're just so bizarre that you're like, who the fuck is Maria the robot? And why is this funny? And why the fuck did you just win? That was a twist, wasn't it? It was that weird. Was, that was weird, but also very funny, but also very, in retrospect, very GG. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't need to see another Jeffree Star impression ever again. No. I'm done. I'm done. I don't yeah. need it. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm fearing that Snatch Game has been broken. Mm. And I think the only way to fix it is to go back to the queer icons. Well, and I mean, it's, it's, the, but then I think of um, Jackie Cox who did Leah Renna. Which you yeah, also, Lisa, but but Lisa, Lisa Renna is 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 a queer icon yeah, in a way. Yeah, she is. But she's also not your first thought. Like when I think of classic queer icons, I think of like Marlena Dietrich and um, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, and like mm-hmm. and those have all been done. Has anyone been done Betty Davis? Uh, no one's done Betty Davis. But again, all, most of these have been successes, and there's a reason yeah. for it. Yeah, like you gotta love Jinx playing in Grey Garden. That was a exactly. great one. Classic. I mean, it, uh, it's or you true. just have to be a good fucking comedian. Yeah, that's. I mean, Snatch Game's hard. It is very hard. It, it, that is and a that's hard the thing. Challenge. It's like at this point in drag race world, you've got to know how to sew and you've got to know how to do a character because that yes. is what this show is now. If yeah. you don't, then you should not even apply. No, and it's funny because uh, people, of course. When, they, when you say you're going to be a drag queen, the people's immediate thought is, oh, are you going to be on Drag Race? Right. And is it funny that I have zero interest in being on Drag Race? I, I mean, it's, for me, it's like... If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, that's fine. Yeah, for me, it's like... I mean, one, there's never been a bigger queen that's won. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just don't... For me, I, for me, Drag Race was so formative for me sure. in like understanding what drag is. But now, of course, going to actual drag bars and gay bars, you realize Drag Race doesn't really have a pul- have their hand on the pulse of what drag no, actually is. No, not anymore. Is. Not anymore. And that's not to say that there have been like there have been amazing queens that have gone through there that I absolutely love. Yeah. But it is also one of those things that I don't know if I necessarily need RuPaul's validation to confirm that my drag is good. Sure. And it's. I, I what is what is unnerving about drag race is that there people think they're all experts now. Right. And uh and I love that Trixie Mattel says that like you're not a fan, you're not an expert on drag, you're an expert on a television show. Absolutely. And, and uh like, yeah, go ahead. I, I, I've I've wanted to do um like a ranking of the drag race queens. And mm-hmm. I know there's been a lot of backlash of other people doing it before and what's the criteria, but if you know me, you know I have an obsession with reality TV. And mm-hmm. I watch that show through the lens of reality TV. The person right. on screen is not the person in real life. And I'm sure. able to separate the two. And if I were going to do a ranking system, I'm going to rank them on their appearance on the show, nothing else. But right. I don't want right. to get the it's backlash true. on it. Because it is tricky. There are people who are like, oh, can't compare queens. But at the same time, isn't that what we do in the real world anyway? We do. And of course, I think that we all need to realize that we all have a subjective point of view. Exactly. Uh, of course, like there, are, I have nothing, there's nothing wrong with being a pageant queen. There's nothing nope. wrong with being a creepy queen. I love all of different kinds of drag. All drag is valid. 
all drag is valid and all bodies performing in drag are valid. Yes. Um, but it is, but of course, RuPaul doesn't reflect that. No. At all. So no. then it becomes, okay, well, this is the biggest television show in our community and we all watch it. And if you don't watch it, then it's, it's a conversation starter for literally a, <laughs> any gay man living in New yes. York City. Um, but then it also, that kind of worries me at times too, because then that, what we can't let drag race define drag. Right. And that's why I kind of go into this as thinking, I'm making my own character and I don't care if people don't think it's drag or they don't think it's, um, I don't know. I just, I, I'm, I, I, it's fun to defy people and what they think sure. <laughs> in, a, in a safe way. Yeah. Okay, you've fallen down a rabbit hole on YouTube. What are you watching? Oh my God, you know my favorite thing is? I've been watching so much YouTube during this ordeal. My favorite thing, I've been getting into like Defunct Land, which I'm sure you're a fan of. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy, the amount of Disney vlogs I've been watching the past oh couple my God. Dis Offhand Disney. Fast Pass Facts. Yes. AllEars.net. They're Disney good. Food blog. I've been watching Tracker. a lot of those. I've been watching a lot of those. I've been watching a lot of intense film analysis. Okay. Um, like I, what my favorite thing recently has been is that I watch a movie and then I immediately watch like a 30 minute analysis of it. Yeah, yeah, I love those. It's great. Like I did that with The Fly the other night. I had never seen The Fly before. Great movie. One of my favorite ones that I did was I watched the movie Snowpiercer. I haven't seen the series oh. yet. But oh, then I, I just watched- finished the series. I'm, I'm gonna watch it eventually yeah. um but i watched snowpiercer then i went on because i had these thoughts while i was watching it and then i was like youtube youtube snowpiercer and there was a video on how is is it possible snowpiercer is the sequel to willy wonka and i was like that's what i said the entire time what i have never heard that oh because it's like wilford watch it it is I... it is a one-for-one -one comparison Wow. Yeah, he's giving the key to somebody. He's he has little people controlling the train. <laughs> it is fucking creepy. Wilford is Charlie. Oh my god. Mind blown. And I love that movie. Great movie. It it's a great movie. I'm sorry, but like my favorite quote is Chris Evans trying to like be dramatic and talk about how he knows what children taste like. What? <laughs> Yeah, no, that is a uh, quote. Oh my I've eaten God. people. I know what children taste like is like, I think the direct quote he says. And it's so funny because when I think about that movie, I think of, um, oh God, amazing actress. She's in it. Tilda, uh, Tilda Swinton. Swinton. Yeah. Oh, oh my such God. Such a good performance. Oh my God. She's good in everything. But yeah. like that role specifically is so delicious, fun to hate character. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think of her. I don't remember any of the Chris Evans. It was years ago. I have, yeah. I have to rewatch it. Yeah, and I again, I know that the uh, series follows it in a way, but also strays away. It's very different. Um, it's clearly more inspired by the book series, I think. Sure. Um, There's more time to tell the story. There's more time, and I don't. And the they, I think they created the character that David Divi Diggs plays. Um, but it is a good character. I, I'm curious to hear what you think. Well, yeah, it, it's about similar it. to the Chris Evans character, but it's mm -hmm. his own. But right. yeah, I'm excited to watch it. Yeah. If you had to pick one New York City queen to be your partner on The Amazing Race, who is it? Oh my God, The Amazing Race. Um, um, God. I'm trying to think. I mean, Avant Garbage is my first thought. Because mm -hmm. she would be competitive as fuck. 
yes. And it yes. would be, and she's better. She's more better. She's better at physical challenges than I am, most likely. Um, Does that mean you're going to be eating the weird food? That would definitely be me. Um, yeah, no, I think it would be me and her. All right, uh, that's a good I combo. Think, I, I think we could get through without killing each other. That's very important. Yeah, that's a big one. All right, we're moving into the pop five rapid fire. I'm going to give you five pop culture news items, stories, whatever. And you're going to say word, phrase, story, whatever you want to talk about. Okay. Number one, Steinway Street in Astoria turns into a block party. Girl. I'm um, so glad I'm not in the city right now. Oh, my God. Well, I took the bus yesterday through Steinway, and I was just kind of, like, looking out the window to see what was happening. Um, lots of cop cars. Yeah. Um, but that video is very disturbing. I just don't understand how that happened. And there was one article who blamed Instagram for people seeing the fun that was happening. I was like, so you're saying these are not people from Astoria. They're people traveling to Astoria. Oh, um, that's a big problem, too. Yeah, that is a problem. I mean, for, according to what I heard was that just that people it, they had outdoor setups for bars. Yeah. And then people just kept showing up and didn't have anywhere to go. Exactly. They just filled out the whole street. Yeah, and they were um, disrespectful to the cops. and. Yeah, there was trash everywhere. I saw a news coverage from the next morning. There was just trash lining the street. Yeah. Not yeah, fun, not so fun. be smart, everyone. Wear a mask. Don't be an idiot. Yeah. Next up, Our Town starring Dustin Hoffman queued for a Broadway revival post-COVID. <laughs> um... Okay, so true story. I've never seen Our Town on stage. Fair. I have read it. I've seen the movie. I did a scene from it in high school. I'm very, I'm pretty familiar with it. I know there was a really good revival off Broadway a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was at the David Kramer one. Yes, I heard it was great. Yeah. That's that's all. That everyone in the industry that is like the revival of sure. Our Town. Um, I mean Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman is one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, when it comes to like '70s film. If it has Dustin Hoffman in it, I'm going to watch it. Sure. He's so good. Um, so, I mean, the stage manager is an interesting role. I would see it. I would see it. I mean, yeah. the I think the tough part with Our Town is that it is known for being super minimal. There's no set. There's no um, props. That's yeah. kind of the whole way it's done. Um, so that's always tough with Our Town to justify the cost of a Broadway ticket. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the bigger story is... Why our town with Dustin Hoffman now? Yeah, I don't quite get that. Like in I, this political climate, you could put there, anybody in that role. Well, and also with why that play? Right. Um, it, I th it is a great play about. I mean, it's about it's America. It's an American story about a small town, very human interest. But yeah, in terms of like art reflecting society, it's not exactly that. not the right show. Not the right show. Yeah. All right, number three. Eurovision Song Contest, Story of Fire Saga. I have not watched it, but I've been told I should. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, that's where Yaya Ding Dong comes from. Got um, it. Okay, that's why. It's so good. Yeah, play Yaya Ding Dong. I love it. Someone love sent it. me a scene from it, and I was really into it. So I, so I, will, I will watch it. I will watch it. It's stupid. It's funny. It's sad. It's, it's a... It's a half hour too long, but if you are a fan of Eurovision, this movie is it. I gotta watch that. That might be my Sunday night activity. That could yeah. be fun. All right, number four. Um, Glee star Naya Rivera passes from an accidental drowning. <sighs> Devastating. Yeah. Such a talented woman. 
Um, and it's 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 just um, I mean, Glee was so formative for me. Sure. I mean, I was I was in college at the time. I remember every week they would release the music like the day before. I would download all of the mm -hmm. music. I absolutely obsessively yeah. watched Glee and was loved the soundtrack. And some of her performances are some of the best sure. from that whole series. And Santana was such a juicy character. Yeah. Very deep. She was very cold, but also when you get to know her, she was very smart and very kind. She was very complex. Um, she was really complex. She was a very character. complex character, and especially in, as a Latinx character, she had a lot of elements of that that were important in terms of representation. Mm -hmm. And a queer Lesbian. character. And a queer character. It, she, in terms of representation, that character was very important yeah. because the character was so confident. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to Kurt, who I feel like Kurt had a lot more of a underdog kind of story. Yeah, and it was very much a stereotype. Yeah, I mean, I related to Kurt, but also in the way that I didn't necessarily love. Right. Um, because that's a way a lot of people saw me was through that character. Sure. Um, but in terms of Maya Rivera, I mean, it was just devastating. And it was, it was, of course, my true crime glasses come out as soon as that happened. Of course. And everyone starts thinking about, oh, well, what happened? What could have possibly happened? And I, I was always very much of the mind of like, this had to be an accident. Right. Because it's like, there's no, I can't imagine. Right. Because you, you immediately are like, Natalie Wood? What, is this oh, Natalie again? Wood did Natalie Wood come to, to come to mind? And if you don't know the Natalie Wood story, anyone Watch who's listening, the documentaries. They're oh my god, juicy! You will never think about Kristen Christopher Walken the same way ever again. Mm -mm. Or Robert um, Wagner. Or Robert Wagner. I've got some things to say about him, but um, <laughs> uh, Natalie Wood, I love her. Um, so of course that was people's first thought. Yeah. But then of course I start putting my Jessica Fletcher brain, and I'm like, well, why was the child asleep? Why was the child? Right. Uh, wearing a life jacket, but she right, wasn't. Because the, the, the thing that I will always go back to is, yes, he's he was four years he is four years old, mm -hmm. but if she was screaming and struggling, he would have told us that, and he did. Right, right, right. So it's a very unfortunate situation. I think it's going to be another reason why um, boat safety is going to be a thing, it and could. perhaps, yeah, you have the money to buy a boat or rent a boat maybe you should not be allowed to do that unless you have someone there to man the boat. Wear a life vest. Like I was a, yeah. I was a, I was a lifeguard for a few years and I remember we were on a lake. You could not go on the lake without a life preserver. Yeah. I don't care how old you were. Do you many drunk adults told me I can swing perfectly fine. It's fine. I'm sir. I'm like, sir, if you're not wearing a life jacket, you're not going on the water. Yeah. I'm not playing around. Um, and it's, it's, it's very sad. Her and her son, she was gone too soon. Yeah. She was, she was so young and so talented. Um, yeah. 33. Sad. Very sad. I'm glad you called 33 young. He is young. I ain't 33. Please. My drag character is 92. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> All right. Our number five for pop five rapid fire is Canada's Drag Race. <gasps> okay. So I've only watched the first one. Okay. Okay. It's um, fun. It's fun. What do I feel about it? Um, oh, God. I don't remember most of their names. I, do I? Do, okay. So do you recommend me buying the World of Wonder thing? in order yeah. to watch it. It's worth I, it. Yeah. Okay, I should do it. Because I actually loved the pilot. It, it was a very, it was refreshing. It episode, reminded... episode two took a dip. Episode oh, yeah. three was a little better, which I'll be recapping soon. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a fun show. It's jarring because mm. you're like, this is RuPaul's Drag Race, but it's not RuPaul's Drag Race because RuPaul's not there, but they're trying to make RuPaul three people and it's weird. Yeah, but um, I kind of loved that as a format. Yeah. It was kind of freeing to not have Rue there. Yeah, 
But she's anyways, always there. She's always there. She's always there. But I, it just, and I loved that it, the challenges are more framed around what the earlier seasons were. Yeah. Which is, is a lot more homemade. And that's yeah. just my, my favorite kind of drag. And I feel like that's the definitely thing about drag race in general is it kind of puts unrealistic expectations on what drag people, drag performers can do yeah. and can afford. Yeah. Um, and I don't think you need to spend thousands of dollars on a gown to look beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge thrift store buyer. I love buying things that were pre-owned. I All you have to do is wear it well and make it work. If it, yeah, if it fits the character and it makes sense, do it. And so yeah. what I loved about the pilot was it was just this, they give them, it was that classic challenge. If they give them mm -hmm. the box, you got to make something in the box. And that is always a fun, especially first episode. episode. Yeah. Um, but I, what was the name of that character? Was it Jimbo? Jimbo the drag clown. That character spoke. Well, just to me. wait. Just keep going. I, I. Do you know how many times I watched that clip of her screaming on top of the mountain? <laughs> yeah, and it, it's good. it makes me laugh every time. Yeah. And she just has this. Even the way she went into the work, it is very much a clown. Which I, yes. I, I, yes. I love when drag queens are able to um, use elements of clowning in yeah, drag. Yeah, absolutely. Just that kind of like. Oh my God! And just it just it makes you smile because yeah. you know she's not taking it that seriously, and that's yeah. just so refreshing. It's so refreshing because drag race sometimes can become so much about like I worked my ass off for this, I am gonna kill everyone, and then you get Jimbo walking in like, ah! yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Brilliant. She stuck out. There were a few other ones, but Jimbo just oh my God. Yeah. So I have my previous guests ask my current guest a question, okay. and this is a question from Strawberry Fields. Okay. If you were banned from ever doing drag again, what would you do instead? Oh, God. I mean, I guess I would just have my day job, but that sounds very sad. <laughs> well, I love my day job, don't get me wrong, but I need a creative outlet. I feel like if I didn't have performing, like let's say if I got injured or something, I couldn't perform. Yeah. I would probably go back to an artistic outlet that I had before I did drag, which is um, I would take playbills apart and decoupage them on canvas and design. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was a, it was one of, it was my first creative outlet and it's- um, Sounds like an Etsy project. Oh, it was, I sold some of them on Etsy. Time to do it again. Time to do it again. I mean, it was, uh, and I have a piece hanging up in Don't Tell Mama that has the oh, original, cool. it has the original Broadway cast playbill cabaret that I basically, took apart and decoupaged with some Mod Podge. That's fun. Um, so that's probably what I would do. Um, the funny thing is um, during this whole ordeal, I haven't been inspired to do that because I've just been thinking about drag. It's, right. it's so funny. Like I need to focus on one creative outlet at a time. I hear that. Uh, but that's probably what I would do. Nice. Some mixed media art. Nice. Well, now is your turn to ask my next guest a question. Doesn't need to be drag related. It can be about anything. Um... What was the first song you remember lip syncing to in your bedroom? All right. I like that. Very generic. Very good. Very easy. Yeah. Well, where can we find you on social media? Well, you can find me on Instagram. I am on Facebook too, but Instagram's the main one. Um, you can follow me at Angela Mansberry, M-A-N-S-B-E-R-R-Y, like strawberry or schnozberry. Uh, and yes, the mansberries do taste like mansberries. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm on Venmo too, also at Angela Mansberry. There is only one of me, so you can find me pretty easily. 
And we can find your digital show with Avant there. Yes, that is on Instagram every Sunday at five o'clock. Uh, we do our favorite movie trivia. So if you're a big movie fan, um, watch us. We have a super fun time every time. Yeah, and um, Angela will be a part of Elation, a digital drag dance party, Disney edition on uh. August 14th at 6 p.m. A nice little happy hour show. Um, do you want to give the kids a little tease? Oh, I am stoked. Um, I am spending a lot of time on this video that I'm doing for this number. I don't want to say what it is. Um, I will say it is a new number I've never performed. Mm -hmm. I wrote it during quarantine and it is inspired by my favorite Disney ride. So going to theme parks, uh, this is inspired by my favorite ride at Disney World. Um, so I kind of wanted to give you that experience of. Since I love it. I, I'm so excited. Since we can't, since we can't go to Disney World right now, I think it was particularly. I mean, we can, but we shouldn't. We shouldn't. Yeah. Um, so this is I. Th- I thought it would be a fun way to, you know, give people Disney, but also in a different way. I'm, I'm super pumped. I'm doing like four or five different makeups for this. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, Angela, it has been a pleasure. Oh, thank you. This has and, been a joy. Yeah, and hopefully I'll get to see you soon. Yes, yes, we'll definitely get drinks. I'm sure we will be out and about at the old stomping grounds. Yes, well, thank you for being here. (laughs) Yes, thank you so much for having me. Enjoy the rest of your day. A huge thanks to Angela for chatting. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and leave us a review while you're there. Make sure you engage with me on social media and tell me what your favorite episode has been so far. If you have any questions or comments, drop me a line at theaterthenow.com via our question link. Until next time, I'm Michael Block, and that was Block Talk. (laughs) 